Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Fanagas blows the whistle? It's official. Canada, 2000 World Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 43 of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo, joined by Thomas Neff. And I feel like a broken record, Thomas, but it's going to be another busy show after the avalanche of news over the last three days, which kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, it really did, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's crazy, basically, how it's been, uh, being late December almost. <laughs> We're both in uh, different places, uh, recording from our Canadian hometowns of uh, Vancouver and Edmonton, respectively. Also known as Antarctica and California, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, uh, what, what a great show we have. Uh, no more tickets left. Uh, there will be an U20 camp uh, going on as, as well. Um, a key midfielder is out. Dual National has been discovered, happen to, happens to play center back. Uh, Neff bumps are back. MLS schedule, uh, CONCACAF Champions League draw, news and notes, which includes a domestic section, and Canadians abroad updates, and the mailbag. Yeah, so much going on. And before we dive into all of those little goodies a reminder that the northern football podcast is partnered with northern tribune check out the latest canadian soccer news and analysis at northerntribune.ca and follow them on twitter at north tribune as well and please don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts if that platform is apple then leave us a rating and review to help us crack 75 five-star ratings before the year wraps up. We are two away from that. So, so close. And last but not least, we have reached and surpassed 800 followers on our Twitter page at Northern Football. So please give it a follow if you don't already do. So we start the show with this. Canada Soccer has confirmed that in a matter of hours on Thursday, tickets for Canada's World Cup qualifier versus the U.S. in Hamilton on January the 30th was sold out after the pre-sale. The general sale was scheduled for 10 a.m. Eastern on Friday, but it didn't even get to that point because all the tickets were snapped up during the pre-sale. So Thomas, what does this say about the popularity and demand for tickets to Canada games at this point in time? Yeah, this is incredible. I would say this. We are becoming a soccer country because you hear of stories like this where tickets are just sold out in a matter of hours. Not minutes quite yet, but yep. uh, in a matter of hours. And uh, and look, it will be a, um, a home field advantage uh, in red. Uh, a strategy uh, which, you know, may have upset some people. Uh, but this also prevented American fans from buying. Uh, and hint, hint, uh, that El Salvador match wasn't... Uh, uh, home match really at all, you know, with, with so many uh, people show up in blue. And, and look, every window has helped and, and gained more interest as we go. And, and it's finally being taken, you know, more serious, this national team. And, mm-hmm. and they're getting the recognition and, and uh, attention they deserve. 100%. And by having a smaller stadium, you have more people clamoring for tickets. And that's always a good thing if you're the federation, because then it just becomes that much more popular. Really, the only downside is the fact that you're now seeing quite a few tickets being posted on StubHub and other secondary markets uh, for quite a lot higher than what they were bought for. Uh, The hope is that eventually that doesn't become an issue. But I mean, the fact that there were about a thousand tickets by the next day up on StubHub alone probably indicates that people are trying to snap these up and then sell them for a profit, which is unfortunate. But we can maybe be certain that the stadium will be full, provided certain things don't affect that, which we'll get into in a bit. 
do want to point out a couple things here because we're closing out what has been a magnificent 2021 for the national teams. And when you see the growing support and it's evidenced by the numbers, not just the amount of people tweeting about the games or talking about the games, just the TV numbers and some of the written content that we see now being produced. We saw those TV numbers, Thomas. 1.3 million or so watched the last qualifier against Mexico. The Costa Rica game got about 900k. They either outdrew or competed with the Toronto Maple Leafs on those nights, which is practically impossible to do. And then on top of that, the Canada content, at least on the Sportsnet website, is getting incredible numbers as well, as are the Canadians Abroad Roundups, by the way. And thank you, everyone, for reading those. Um, I mean, this podcast has cracked the top 75 sports podcasts in Canada on the Apple charts two weeks ago, and that wasn't even a match week. So it might sound like, you know, humble brags here, but it kind of goes to show you just how much the sport is growing and how much Canadian soccer is growing and the attention it is getting. Uh, And yes, it also proves that there will be a terrific atmosphere at Tim Hortons field, hopefully, which I think leads me nicely into our next point here, Thomas. We've seen the rise in COVID-19 cases across the world, but focusing specifically in Ontario, there were over 3000 cases yesterday, which was Saturday. We're recording on a Sunday with the Omicron variant sweeping its way through the province and through most of the world, do you foresee people being allowed into the stands by the time January 30th rolls around? Yeah, this is extremely concerning. You see other major league uh, sports games being canceled and postponed. Feels like March 2020 all over. Now that it's been announced that 50% capacity uh, of events of 1,000 and more, uh, I just don't see how uh, this game will go full capacity, even though it's sold out. Uh, which means some people will have to give up their tickets and, and be refunded. Um, so again, not uh, a lot of people not going to be happy about that. But we just don't know how this situation will play out in five weeks' time. We know that the Omicron variant is three times as more contagious as any other variant. Um, and, and recently uh, it's been announced that people are can now get their booster shots. So um, it, it's just so hard to predict, but... I would say somewhere in between from being full sold out and, and no fans in attendance. So I'm going to say with like, there will be fans, but it just won't be sold. Well, it's hard to predict Thomas, what's going to happen in six weeks time, because even up until like what, 10 days ago, we, we had no idea that all these restrictions were going to be put in place. We're now seeing indoor venues being cut to half capacity. Um, certainly the way it's trending, it doesn't look good, but I mean, who knows? Maybe by the time late January rolls around, it's all right. And all the fans can go. We, we just have no idea. It's very hard to predict these things. Um, and they're also more flexible in outdoor venues than indoor. Also true. Well, on that January camp, Thomas, you and I have been able to put bits and pieces together in terms of details from this January camp. Um, a few days ago, I was told by multiple sources that Canada's under 20s were going to have a camp in January. And then you were informed that the senior camp will be an extended camp and is going to start on January 9th, which should coincide with the under 20 retreat. Now, what's interesting about this is that the rumored Guatemala friendly is scheduled for January 22nd in Miami. So is it possible that the CSA booked another friendly before that one? Or do you think it's just going to be a couple weeks of training, lead into that game, and then they're going to fly down to San Pedro Sula and resume the camp as normal? 
I think it's the latter. Um, I do see that it could be possible, but again, just having a second friendly is just such a good opportunity because you get to see new faces that you normally wouldn't see and gives you an, an opportunity to expand the player pool, you know, just to see, all right, who is seventh, eighth, ninth in the depth chart for that position. But again, I, I think if there was a second friendly, we would have heard about it, Peter, from our colleagues in Central America. Yeah, that's probably true. They seem to be the ones who who break these stories, uh, as was the case with the Guatemala game. So probably accurate. As for the camp itself, the senior camp, that is, we've already found out that Stefan Mitrovic is going to be invited and will attend the camp, as will likely Marcelo Flores. So outside of those two, how many uncapped dual nationals do you expect to see next month? Okay, so I remember when the U20 process was going on for just a couple years ago, uh, before it had to be cancelled, and I had touch base with a few players playing abroad that were U20, and Mauro Bielo does an exceptional job of overseeing the U20 program, um, scouting and, and tracking players, mm-hmm. since it's mostly his responsibility that Herman gives it to. Yeah. And it wasn't until he really got in charge of the U20 and any youth national team that scouting actually had started to begun. But I would say probably out of everyone invited, uh, just because obviously some European clubs see as a positive, some European clubs don't, I would say probably somewhere in between five to 10 dual nationals. That's a little more ambitious than what I'm thinking. I'm kind of thinking that maybe a couple more get called up. And the big name for me would be Daniel Jebison. But I just don't know if it's even feasible because Burton Albion's going to need him over the holidays. So, and not to mention in those first couple weeks of January. I know the CSA has been in regular contact with Lucas Dias's camp, so he's a possibility. And I know that Portugal has a bit of a winter break, so maybe he can get away with coming for a week or two to train even and just kind of get familiar with the setup and everything. But, you know, five to ten would be quite the coup realistically speaking, I'm almost thinking it's only going to be one or two because I feel like the camp is going to be more focused on trying to get the out-of-season players fit again. And then if they can add in a couple dual nationals into the mix, that's just the cherry on top. So as for the under-20s, what I was told was 50-5-0 players were told that they're part of the pool, but there's no word on how many will attend. I can only assume that with the senior camp running concurrently, there's probably not going to be more than, I'd say, 25, 30 players participating. But there's also the case of which specific names do we expect to see? There's going to be a heavy MLS uh, influence, which we already know is usually the case with all of these camps. But when you look at names that you're looking forward to seeing, one name that has been invited is Luca Coliosho, who we talked about a couple weeks ago on the show. He's with Espanyol's youth teams and has trained a few times with the first team already this season. But he's also received an invite to the U.S. camp as well. So maybe outside of him, unless he can also be included on your list, Thomas, are there any specific names you're looking forward to seeing at the camp? Yeah, so I have a, a few on my, on my mind. Jules Anthony Belsantz. Um, I'd love to see him uh, playing in Belgium. Similar path to Jonathan David, uh, youth-wise. Simon Collin, uh, been playing uh, somewhat regularly for PSV's reserve team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juvi Kuner, again, for Braga. Uh, and one of the um, one of the three base uh, keepers in England, uh, obviously Odunse, has more connection to the U.S. Uh, yeah. 
McGill, we don't know as much. Goodman is probably the the likely one just because he he was born in Canada. And I don't know if uh, Ilias Iliadis, uh, who plays for Panathiakos B team in the Greece second division, if he's already old enough to play in a U20, I I think he may already think have he might touched be. that, but those yeah. are the players that I would have. Yeah, I think he might just miss the cutoff. I think he's born in 2001, which just puts him over the limit. I agree with you with most of those names, especially someone like Juvie Cooner. It'd be nice to get him in and see what he can do, especially seeing as how he's been at Braga now for, what, about six months? Um, and has, you know, gotten some first-team training sessions under his belt, as well as a couple appearances for the under-23s as well. The names I want to see are pretty simple. Two of them are relatively unknown to even some of the hardcores in Canadian soccer circles. The first one would be Thiago Coimbra, or Canada, as he is now known at Palmeiras. Uh, even though he isn't scoring as much with their under-20 team compared to when he first arrived, no doubt about it, he's a talent. And he's still, I think, 17, 18 years old. Like, he's got loads of potential. As does Federico Rosa, who plays for uh, Belles' under-17s and 18 team and has been dominating at both of those levels. I think he has six goals in the last 10 games or something like that. It's something ridiculous. Uh, the other two are European-based. Uh, Geronimo Sabatasso, 17-year-old midfielder at Empoli who's killing it there. Very technically gifted, attack-minded midfielder who can also play as an eight. He's someone who really is quite mentally sharp for a player his age. Like, the way that he sees the field is very, very advanced for a 17-year-old. And same with Matt Pasquale, another 17-year-old who I want to see. Most recently at Heronvane, but I've been told that he left the club and has trialed with Venezia and Anderlecht in recent weeks and is actually quite impressed there, so he has quite a few options for his next step. Uh, and maybe even Gabriel Pellegrino from Freiburg would be nice. But those first four names could be major difference makers for the under-20s. Not to mention, they're all dual nationals. So if you get them in now... Maybe you reap the rewards a little later. Okay, moving on here to a pretty major piece of news for the senior team, Thomas. Uh, the Pershire Advertiser has reported that David Watherspoon will be out for around eight months with an ACL injury. Uh, St. Johnston manager Callum Davidson has confirmed this as well. The 31-year-old suffered the injury in the League Cup semifinals against Celtic a few weeks ago. Now, first of all, we wish David a speedy recovery. Um, we had him on the show in episode 18, if you want to give that a listen. He had a lot of re really cool things to say. But with all of this said, Thomas, how big of a loss is Watherspoon to the team? Okay, so uh, Watherspoon is a squad player. Um, he's also, you know, filling that fifth to sixth midfielder role, which makes things interesting. More on that a little later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, in terms of attacking midfielder, um, you've said this many times before, he's one of the few players that can fill in for someone like a Mark anthony K. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he has started before um, in the Ocho. Uh, no, he did against Panama. That's right. He did. To give some much necessary rest. But, but e even considering then, he's not a impactful player in terms of... If you lost someone like Ostakio, I think it would be much bigger news, much yeah. bigger. But at the same time, he is still a loss um, yeah. just because uh, Herman has the same six midfielders and he's committed to the same six midfielders yeah. through a very lengthy process mm -hmm. of time. Of course, it's, it's changed, but mostly in 2021 has been more or less the same group. You've added maybe yeah. uh, Payne at the Gold Cup, and you maybe kind of fill in other issues, other uh, places, but more more or less it's been the same group. So in terms of that, um, he's going to have to incorporate someone new, uh, but at the same time, 
yes, he is a loss. And, and for me personally, if, if I'm Wotherspoon, we're talking about this off the record here, but probably going to be out until September, maybe even later. Perhaps he's lucky and, and gets some preseason. But, I mean, if he's not going to be part of the entire 2022 process, um, again, it's super unfortunate for him, but should Canada qualify, which I think they will, um, I think Herman will probably stick to the players that were part of the 2022 cycle. I would agree. I'll add this. He did provide something that few of the midfielders could do. He was this winger, central midfield tweener who could make runs into the box, stretch back lines, drag defenders out of position, progress the ball, all that stuff. Having one player perform all of these tasks is difficult to find. So that is the one reason why he would be a loss. Plus, it is one of the more consistent members of the group that you're losing, as you touched on. Um, And it also sucks for him because, I mean, as you said, he's probably going to be out till August, September. And that's just to return to full training and start to get minutes. By the time, say, the middle of October rolls around, he might just be starting to get into his rhythm. And then in a couple weeks after that, provided Canada does qualify for the World Cup, they then have to name their final squad. And will that be enough to convince John Herdman to get back into the fold? We will have to see. We will have to see for sure. So this week's poll was related to this piece of news. And we asked you, the listeners, with David Watherspoon injured, who would you call up as a replacement for the January squad? So after 325 votes, Scott Arfield won this one with 52% of your votes. Stefan Mitrovic got 39%. Harry Payton clocked in at around 7 and there was 1% for other, and that other was actually uh, Stefan Jordan saying Ferdy Kadioglu would be his top choice. Not a bad shout there. Uh, some other comments from the listeners. Van S at Van S underscore Jets said, Mitrovic would make sense. He's playing very well. Bonus to cap tie him. Plus, I feel Mitrovic would blend very well into what Herdman is aiming to do with this group, where Arfield is a veteran who has a long, good and bad history who might do his own thing, just speculation. Ken m Opinions at Sadsons86 said, Scott Arfield should not be called up. Uh, quote, I'm available for call-up whenever, end quote, says the guy who refused call-ups to the early rounds of World Cup qualifying, not to mention he was our captain. Herdman should stick with the players that got us to this point. Every situation is different. Um, you can probably point out to your native Peru, mm-hmm. uh, when Claudio Pizarro uh, retired from the Peruvian national team yep. and Peru qualified to the World Cup, mm-hmm. how many people were asking for Pizarro to be included into that World Cup squad? Yeah, 100%. When Vlad Ibrahimovic retired from the Swedish national team and Sweden qualified to the World Cup, how many people were asking for him to be included? Um, so listen, well, not everything also, is... Also Arturo Vidal, when he crashes Ferrari in, in Chile at the Copa America 2015, how many people were calling for him to get dropped from the squad? He stuck around and they ended up winning the tournament, right? Absolutely. And now it's a major injury. It's not even, I'm going to swap in this player for this player for preference. Now it's like, holy crap, we actually need to fill the spots. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is fair enough. It is, I mean, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but there is some context here that I think the fans will be interested to know. Um, one final comment from Spin at Spinel's Can. Feel like given Scotty's form and playing time under Van Bronckhorst, he has to be included now. So the fans had their say, Thomas. Who would you call up to replace Watherspoon for January? I'm surprised Liam Fraser is not on the list, considering he's been the other main squad guy besides Watherspoon. Um, Editorial but again, choice. I mean, he didn't really have a consistent 
uh, season with Columbus Crew. They actually didn't even bring him back. But look, I mean, I just don't think that someone like Fraser would come in just because you already have um, so many uh, midfielders. Now, Scott Arfield is the favorite. If you asked me three months ago, was he an option for the national team? No, he wasn't playing. He wasn't scoring goals. And we didn't need him. Now, we need someone like him. He's playing goal. He's he's playing well, as you can probably allude to. And he's scoring here and there, uh, doing it for a major club. So, yeah, I think he is the favorite um, to really fit this fit this role uh, in 2022, given that, you know, he wants to come back. And on Stefan Mitrovic and Harry Payne, I think Mitrovic has a higher ceiling than Harry Payne, who we'll have on later. Uh, Payne, that is. Uh, Payne, obviously, is playing for mostly very consistent minutes. Uh, but at the same time, he's doing it for, you know, a team that's fighting relegation in the Scottish Premiership. Mitrovic has interest from very good leagues and very good clubs uh, in Europe, which I cannot say. And has a higher ceiling considering his age and whatnot. But at the same time, he is still undecided. So I think Arfield is the go-to option, given that. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, Payne maybe not be ready for that pressure. Uh, Mitrovic hasn't committed fully yet. And, and again, Fraser, as I touched on, um, he's another player that's uh, out of season and you already have three of those uh, locked in. So I do agree with you. But it was such a dilemma for me to choose our field because it's very enticing to want to captize Stefan Mitrovic. I think if he were to say, yeah, I'm going to play for Canada... I think you can still find a spot for him without taking that sixth midfield spot because he can still play on the wing and kind of contribute to your forward depth. He can even play as a second striker if you really want him to because um, he can play as a number 10. The roles are fairly similar. So for that reason, I did vote Arfield just because I feel like there could still be a way to get Mitrovic in there. But ultimately, Thomas, the goal is to qualify for the World Cup, right? And if Arfield is in form with Rangers and is playing every week, He's one of the best out-and-out central midfielders in the pool. It's just flat-out true. The way he can go box-to-box, collect the ball from deep, shuttle it forward, combine with the right back, because he likes to kind of play in that right half space. I mean, imagine him and Larea combining again, making late runs into the box. It would be magnificent to watch. Plus, he's a veteran who has some familiarity with the players, albeit with a long absence. He isn't too familiar with this current setup. And I know people will bring up the refusal to play in the early rounds and all that stuff, maybe negatively affecting the chemistry in the locker room, what have you. But I will remind you, Arfield was going to be called up to the Gold Cup squad before he got hurt in preseason with Rangers. If Herdman really thought he'd be a major disruption to the squad and mess with the tranquility or the camaraderie of the team, then he wouldn't have considered calling him up. But this does also depend on what player you, you want to see. Our field does tend to favor the right. Mitrovic favors the left, which has to be considered with Watherspoon out now. He also likes to kind of drift to the left side. But for me, it would be our field just because I feel like when he is in form, Thomas, he's for sure one of the best players in that midfield pool. Not to mention his age as well. I mean, he's 33, so he's he's in his last in his last couple of years and probably his last year for the national team as someone like, obviously, Atiba Hutchison as well. So in terms of what you want to do, which is to win, to qualify to a World Cup, guys like Mitrovic, Payne, uh, Fraser, who mm-hmm. are very, very young, you can kind of uh, have a plan for them in, in 2026. But obviously for someone like Garfield, who's 33, the time is now or never, really. 
Okay, we have another player joining us this week. It is Ross County midfielder Harry Payton. Harry, thank you so much for coming on with us. How are you? Uh, no problem, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, so you, uh, maybe just kind of starting with uh, your, your early years before we dive into current events with you, um, you played uh, locally in Kitchener with your brother before you made the move overseas. In fact, both of you made, made, making the move overseas. What was that like, and how did that first opportunity come about to uh, join Fulham? Yeah, so me and my brother, we were always like determined you know, to make it professionally. Um, and we got into a really good environment with a coach called uh, Mario Halliper um, in Kitchener. Um, and he really was, was extremely good with us. He looked after us. Um, he really knew the game well. And he almost molded us to, to kind of where we are now. Um, so we played just locally with Kitchener. You know, I just loved it. And, I, you know, me and Ben were always were out doing extra training and stuff, you know, to, to kind of make that dream come true. And um, it got to around when we were 15. Um, and we had the opportunity to to have a go overseas and uh, trial at a couple of clubs. So initially, we went. I went to um, I went to Brentford, um, Queens Park Rangers, and Fulham, just you know, on a kind of like a a week trial. Um, and I was lucky enough, you know, I done well, and they all offered me kind of um, you know the two year scholarship uh, apprenticeship with them, and the, they offered me a two years uh, contract. Looking at all three, you know, they're all great clubs, but I thought Fulham was the best option. So I went with them and kind of dream come true. And it was a great experience. Um, to expand on that, Harry, you mentioned that you picked Fulham when you actually had three other options. Um, specifically, why did you pick Fulham over Brentford, Queen's Park Rangers? You know, that is a tough question. Um, it was a really tough decision. I thought looking at Fulham, um, their prestigious academy, you know, they've got really good players coming through and, and the facility was great and um, just felt like it was, you know, just a perfect, the perfect fit for me. All right. Well, maybe on that same subject, Harry, what was the biggest adjustment for you when you ended up playing with Fulham's youth teams, whether that was the U18s, the U23s, what have you, compared to your time in Canada? Um, it was a big step up straight away, you know. To be fair, I felt like I fit in quite well. It didn't take me a while to get going. Um, I was really excited, obviously. But I, to be fair, near the Christmas times and like times around now, it did get a bit tough, you know, just missing the family and, and stuff, things that I didn't really think that would affect me. You know, that was quite difficult. But again, it was kind of, you know, my dream. So I just, you know, pushed through it and just, you know, was enjoying training and, and living in London. It was it was really good. You leave uh, England um, to go to Scotland to pursue uh, first team professional football. Eventually, Bart snapped you up. And you end up going on different loans. Um, can you talk about the the decision to leave England to go to Scotland and, and what your initial impression of Scottish football was? So the idea was I wasn't really pushing into the first team at Fulham. And to be fair, the time there was, was quite tough. I, my international clearance took over, I think it was nine months to come in. So I couldn't really play any games, which was which was a nightmare. But I really wanted to get some first team kind of appearances on my on my resume, um, so I decided to go up to Scotland and and push through there. And uh, I went to Hearts for I think it was a week's trial, and um, they ended up signing me. And things were going really well. I was up, I was up with the first team, um, was getting on the bench, and, um, and then we went through about I think that season we went about th- three managers or so. Um, and then this, the next season, so I was there for a year. The next season, 
they recommended and, and I thought it would be a good idea to go out on loan. Um, so I went to this team called Stenhouse Mirror. Mm-hmm. They were down in League Two at the time, but I was just, you know, going there for minutes and I was still quite young at the time and I was just trying to get some game time against, you know, like uh, in the men's league and competitive league. I actually think that was the best decision I made. I was going, I was playing well, I was scoring goals. Um, we ended up getting promoted um, and that was a that was a great year. And then just pushed on after that. And then I ended up at Ross County, um, actually after after my loan spell at San Jose Mir. Well, lovely transition there. Um, you've cemented your place since you landed at Ross County, um, but you've had to play, I mean, a number of roles along the way, from the wing to the to the center, maybe in a slightly deeper role. But which position do you feel most comfortable in? Yeah, I've played all over, um, but definitely my my best position, I feel personally for me, would be the number eight role. I do like getting the ball from deep and starting plays. But again, I do like getting up and helping the attack. Um, and as well, like a big part of my game is is um, kind of pressing and, and winning the ball back for the team. Um, so I feel like the number eight role is uh, is perfect for me. Uh, the club signed your brother. Do you play a role in that at all uh, in his eventual signing? And, and what, what has it been like uh, having him around? No, you know, I didn't play a role at all. They, they've been always asking me about him you know, when he was down at Blackburn and, and seeing how he was getting on. And um, I was actually away with uh, with Canada at the time. He was here uh, training with, with the team. Um, and obviously, you know, he did extremely well and they, they offered him a contract. And personally for me, it's been a big boost to have him here. And, you know, when I'm having like, you know, a bad day or something, you know, he's always there to, to kind of push me on it. It's almost like uh, back to the good old days back in Kitchener, you know, when we're out training together and, uh, it was an amazing feeling. The first game we were able to play together and I was just like passing the ball out to Ben and he's giving it back to me in a premiership match. It was it was uh, surreal. It was amazing. So, um, yeah, it's great to have him here and he's been doing extremely well as, uh, as well. You know, Dingwall's a pretty small place to live. Uh, so do you live in town or do you commute from Inverness or something like that? Yeah, so over the past couple of years I've been here, I've, I've lived in Dingwall for a year. Um, but uh, I moved up to Inverness. Uh, it's just a bit more, uh, I guess you could say, things things to do. Uh, it's only like a 25-minute drive. It's not, nothing too far. But Inverness is actually a really nice city. Um, it is a city, but it's more kind of BC vibes. It's more just like, you know, it's the views here are really amazing. The Highlands, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're like a five-minute drive from, you know, the Loch Ness. You know, oh, you wow. hear back in the day the Loch Ness Monster and stuff. So yeah. um, I'm always there with walking the dog and stuff. And we're always out there just seeing it. It's amazing. Definitely worse places to live. That's for sure. Pivoting yeah. back to to life at the club, Harry. Um, I mean, Malky Mackay's come in and, you know, you, you look quite, not that you weren't playing well last year, you definitely were, but but you kind of look like a just a completely different player and like a much more improved player since he's come in. So what have you made of, of the work that Malky has done with you so far? Um, yeah, you know, he's been extremely, extremely um, professional and he's been working really well with me and it's great to work alongside him, you know, um, he's he's uh, really good with, you know, his constructive criticism and stuff, he's not like putting you down, but he expects, he knows what I can do and he expects um, highly of me, which is, which is really good for me. And, you know, he's been helping me out as well, just with everything, just life in general. Um, and he's been really kind of like a solid uh, base for me just to even go in and, and talk to him, you know, just, just about anything really. You know, his resume is 
um, extremely, extremely good. You know, he's been coaching Cardiff. Like that's mm-hmm. that's incredible. And being being able to work with him is is great. And um, yeah, it definitely pushes me to to my highest standards. You know, in in your previous answer, you mentioned that being well, there's not much to do. What do you do for fun away from football? Obviously, you mentioned that Inverness, there's more stuff to do. Yeah, so, you know, there's always the, the PlayStation. I, I love playing FIFA with my brothers. I've just got a dog as well, so I go out with the dog, walk all the time, just anywhere. But to be fair, there's, with, with COVID, obviously, you know, things are things were really tough for like a year or so when I was up here. There's not much to do, but I'm always out, you know, I get home from training. Um, probably have a nap, obviously, because it's, it's tiring. But and actually, to be fair, I do like cooking as well. That's a weird one. I don't know. I like cooking myself. It's kind of a hobby for me. So um, I'm always out, like cooking up dinners and stuff for my brother and that. So um, I guess you could say that. Nice. Okay. Well, what, what what do you typically like to cook? What would be your go-to dish if you if you had one? My go-to dish would be I'd say chicken thighs with uh, pesto pasta and all these veggies. Sign- my signature dish. Oh man, sounds delicious. There we go. Um, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Uh, well, pivoting to the national team, Harry, uh, you represented Canada at various levels. You, you actually got invited to the Olympic squad earlier this year, but the club prevented you from going based on what Mauro Biello said because Ross County had important games coming up, but you didn't actually end up playing all that much in the first couple of weeks that the tournament started. So what exactly happened with that whole situation on your end? Yeah, um, so obviously Mario was in contact with me and I was in contact with him throughout the whole process. And um, I was very, myself personally, I was very keen on going. And in the club's defense, we did have some big games coming up. We were quite low on the table and they were wanting to obviously, you know, I was I was told that I would be obviously playing in these games that were coming up for Ross County. So I think Mario understood that, but I was obviously, so Olympic qualifiers, I was really stoked to go and I obviously was pushing on my end to try and to try and get out there it's, it's a one in a lifetime opportunity but end of the day it was the club's decision and they decided to keep me and for some reason um I think I was on the bench I think for for I think it was two of the games I think out of the three that I would have missed it was a, quite a frustrating time for me and I'm sure Mauro was was upset from they were saying too but um yeah, I was definitely would have would have enjoyed going. Did you ever get an explanation from the club as to why you you know weren't playing and, and you also weren't able to travel to you know play in the Olympic qualifying? No, I didn't get a get an explanation. I, I think it was just honestly I couldn't couldn't tell you what it, what the decision was on their part. I think it might have been just the maybe the game this the game situation. They made it might have needed a certain player in in the position, um, but. From my eyes, saying that if I couldn't go, then I thought I would have been at least playing some more minutes than I did. But again, it's it's one of those things that's out of my control. Well, I mean, your hard work eventually didn't go unrecognized because you earned a call up to the Gold Cup squad. Now, COVID protocols threw a wrench in things for you, but based on your time with the team, what did you make of that experience? When I first got the call and I seen on that they announced it and that I was going. It was the best news, you know, I've ever got in my career so far. And I was so excited to go. And then, you know, obviously the COVID protocols um, was kind of a nightmare. Um, but after that, you know, I put my head down and I had a, ch- uh, a good chat with uh, John Herman as well, just to say, like, you know, you've been here. Would you like this, you know, kind of stick around or 
would you like to push through this or you know i would give you the option you know if if to go home you know because you've been struggling but you know my my idea behind that was to to get in with the team um show you know show them what i can do in training so uh continuing on this have you been in contact with john or other members of the coaching staff since the gold cup um yeah you know there's emails here and there and stuff um you know just uh i think they mainly go through the club if they're if they're needing to look at uh Cup, uh, you know, camps coming up, but um, you know, I'm always ready to go, and you know, I'm just gonna keep putting my head down and performing here, and and um, hopefully, yeah, I got another chance with them. Um, have you spoken at all uh, to other uh, Scotland-based players um, and midfielders as well, like David Witherspoon, maybe even Scott Arfield, the Lord Canada stuff? Um, I think last last year I briefly spoke to spoke to I was I was obviously spoke to both of them. Just you know, just briefly after games, just asking how they are and stuff, and um, they did congratulate me on the the um, the call up to the Gold Cup. And um, but you know, it's great to have them in the league, and they're they're both um, quality players. I think Witherspoon, I think he picked up an injury just now, so hopefully he can recover well from that. But yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, I speak to them. You know, just briefly after the games, and shake hands. You you mentioned that that injury of Witherspoon, he's out indefinitely. And obviously, for whatever reason, Arfield's not back in the squad. Uh, Atiba's 39. And this, it seems like the same five or six midfielders are being called up consistently uh, in the call-ups. You made that Gold Cup squad. And, you know, in the depth chart, at least, it seems like you're you're pushing, you know, to be part of that squad. Is there um, a conversation? Obviously, you mentioned that the club and, and, and Herman are in contact and there's some emails exchanged. But is there an expectation that, in January uh, for that triple window, considering Witherspoon's injury and whatnot, and and your current club form, uh, that you'll be involved. I think it might be a bit too early to say. I'm sure there'll be discussions probably coming up in the next few weeks. Again, to be called up for, for the national team is is obviously like a big goal for me, and I just need to keep. I think I just need to keep performing. You know, doing the thing the things I'm doing, and hopefully um, in the next couple of weeks, maybe add some more goals to my to my stats and. I picked up a couple assists this season, so um, just got to keep um, adding to that. And um, yeah, I'm just going to keep working hard, and and um, hopefully my chance will come again. Well, closing up with this, Harry. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but your contract does expire in May. Um, you, you've had a couple of really solid seasons. You're getting national team recognition now. So, what is your goal here in in the near future, and, and maybe even over the next couple of years? My goal is to get the you know, the most minutes I can, you know, that's what I want to do is I want to play football and I don't want to be watching from the side. I want to be playing. I want to be um, involved. Definitely. I want to be pushing myself to the, to the best I can. And, you know, the Scottish Premiership is a high level and it's a good, it's a great solid league, you know, and just to see what, what comes up, what options come up in the, in the near future um, would be great. And um, Ross County have been extremely good to me and, you know, um, you know, playing playing well here and enjoying it. So um, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what what happens in next uh, you know next year. And we're also looking forward to it, as I'm sure the listeners are as well. Harry, want to thank you so much again for joining us, and good luck to you the rest of the way. Maybe we'll see you in a national team setting very soon. Yeah, hopefully. And thanks for having me, guys. It was good to chat to you. A big thank you to Harry Payton once again for taking the time to speak with us. But moving on to domestic matters, the CCL draw was conducted this past Wednesday. Forge will host the first leg against Grusa Sul on February the 16th at Tim Hortons Field. 
The second leg will take place on February the 24th at Estadio Azteca. Meanwhile, CF Montreal is going to be hosting Santos Laguna in the second leg on February the 22nd at Olympic Stadium. The first leg in Torreón is going to be played on February the 15th. So that should be intriguing as well. Uh, the CONCACAF League draw where Pacific FC is participating is set for any time from May to July. So we will find out what their pathway looks like in a few months. Um, on Forge and Montreal, Thomas, do either of them have any hope of advancing to the quarterfinals? For Montreal, it was the worst case scenario. Like they could have played against clubs in Central America, clubs in the Caribbean, and they got the strongest team. Uh, Santos Laguna, who just made the Liga MX final, very, very tough for, for Montreal, Will, Will for Nancy and his side. Uh, I think it's going to be close. I really think they can get it done, but they do need some reinforcements in the offseason if they are to go to uh, Torreon and win and do it uh, again uh, in Olympic Stadium uh, for the second leg. Now on Forge, uh, I'm going to quote uh, Pamadoukov directly here, not myself. Uh, <laughs> you cannot compete with $40 million when you have a team with less than a million dollars. And this is completely true. I mean, Forge playing uh, against Cruz Azul, a team that is worth $40 million, and one player alone makes more money than the entire Forge squad, you cannot think of the results. You have to think of the experience. This is the most important game that a CPL team will ever play, uh, maybe in the history. Actually, I should not say that because obviously with the expanded uh, CCL, it probably will have other opportunities. But up to now, this is the most important game, and you have to think of the experience. Forge going to the Azteca, hosting at Tim Hortons Field, a club like Cruz Azul. I think it's mostly for the exposure level. But yeah, no, I just think that Forge have no chance. You also have to consider, too, the Clausura will already be six weeks in. That's a major advantage for the Mexican teams, which is why MLS side struggle so much in this competition against them. Santos Laguna and Montreal, interestingly, faced each other in 2009. Montreal won the first leg and led in the second leg, but then just completely collapsed. Actually quite similar to what happened in the final against America in, what, 2015, that was. Montreal's tactics might help them out because Santos likes to press high and capitalize off turnovers. If Montreal just seed possession, there's less of a chance for that to happen. So I'll say no chance for Forge, but Montreal could grind it out and maybe frustrate Santos. It, it's very, very possible. Uh, in MLS, we also got the full schedule release. Here are some marquee matchups involving the Canadian clubs. Toronto FC and Vancouver square off on May 8th at BC Place. The first Canadian Classique of 2022 between Toronto and Montreal is being played on July the 16th. The Whitecaps are going to host MLS Cup finalist Portland Timbers on April 9th in the 100th all-time meeting between those two rivals. Montreal and Vancouver's first and only meeting will be on April 16th at Stad Saputo, the first game to be played at the venue in 2022 as well. Um, and some other general highlights. The season itself starts on February 26th. Uh, decision Day is on October the 9th. The All-Star Game is August 10th. The MLS Cup Final is on November the 5th. So going right back to a pre-November window final is MLS. Uh, Thomas, which match are you looking forward to the most involving the Canadian teams? Well, having been to the MLS uh, opening day, NBC plays for the Whitecaps when they played against Sportage Kansas City and everything hit the fan after that. Uh, it, it's such a special day. I mean, I think that the first week of MLS, 
you really get to see where the the players that you have expectation uh, and excitement on will deliver or not. It's kind of a sneak peek. It doesn't really translate to the whole thing, but the first week of MLS, you always kind of have your eyes glued to the TV to see what happens. And, of course, I mean, it may not be what it used to be a couple years ago, you know, 2016, 2017, where, you know, Copa 90 even did a documentary on it, but the 4-1 derby uh, between uh, TFC and, and the now renamed CF Montreal, uh, it's always special. Um, and what you mentioned, obviously, the, the Cascadia Cup, it's, it's always good. But, yeah, overall, just looking forward to seeing, you know, how many Canadians in MLS as well really remain after this um, January, which I think should see at least one uh, Canadian move abroad, Peter. We shall see. That's for sure. Uh, I, too, am looking forward to the Canadian Classic, which I think lost its luster since the pandemic just because very few times, if at if any, there were fans present. Uh, maybe a competitive TFC can reinvigorate things in 2022, so that's the game I'm looking forward to seeing the most for that reason. All right, you know what that music means. It's time for some Nef Bombs. So Thomas, starting things off, uh, you have some news about Valor and the return of a former player. So what can you tell us about that? Sources in Chile are telling me that Valor FC head coach Philip Dos Santos contacted Diego Gutierrez and he has signed for the 2022 CPL season. He will be returning to the Winnipeg-based club in February. Gutierrez, Diego that is, played in this year in Primera B with Barnechea in the second division. And his brother Christian, uh, who plays for the Whitecaps, was coached by uh, Philip's brother, Mark, as we know, Mark Dos Santos, and that's where the connection lies. All right, shall be intriguing to see. He did leave for Chile a couple of years ago. Now he is coming back. What about Eastern Ongaro, who returned to form this season despite FC Edmonton's struggles, uh, one of the top scorers in the league this year? What's his future? Yeah, so Eastern Ongaro is getting interest from several leagues, and one of them is Ireland. Uh, he's already given an interview saying that he feels ready for a new challenge and, and wants to leave CPL. And, and of course, as you allude to, he's already one of the top scorers. And I think he's, you know, better than, than CPL. So we'll see what happens with him. And I'm sure that's not something that FCM10 fans want to hear, that one of their best players uh, is leaving them potentially. No, but if I could lend some advice to Easton, uh, go to Galway. You will love it. Absolutely love it if you could have a choice. And uh, Thomas, is there a, a notable name who is interested in uh, one of the expansion team coaching jobs? Yes, Rob Gale, former manager of Valor, is eyeing and wants uh, the head coaching job for the Saskatoon CPL team. We'll, ha- we'll see what happens uh, with that. I think he, I've seen him recently working with Canada Soccer as, as he was the former U20 coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of the candidates. Uh, obviously, they have a lot of work to do uh, to get a stadium deal across the line. But once I start looking at candidates, um, he is one of the options. All right. Thank you very much, Thomas. Um, moving on to the return of the Canadians Abroad mailbag after a fairly long hiatus. Uh, before I pass over the host mic to Thomas, a big thank you to those of you who submitted questions We wanted to include new requests, but it was such a busy show, we just didn't have the time. So these questions are all the unanswered queries from my Canadians Abroad Roundup for Sportsnet early last week. Um, So with that, Thomas, I pass the mic over to you to get us started. That is right, and I'm sure Peter spent his birthday 
watching film and statistics. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right. So we start with this uh, question from Jeffy P. Nesker. Uh, what level of hell is San Pedro Sula? Okay, so Jeff has also asked me for Owen Hargreaves updates. So, and I Which think you haven't given them yet. I have not. So I can give you this one, though, Jeff. Um, Hargreaves remains confused as to how thick of an English accent he should use when he's on TV. He keeps slipping in and out. I think he has to tighten that up a little bit and, and kind of go one way or the other. Are you leaning in full Canadian or are you leaning in full English? You, you got to pick one, man. You can't keep slipping in and out. Um, as for San Pedro Sula... I would say it's about as hellish as you landing Arctic conditions in Edmonton, Thomas. But it, it maybe the, for the opposite reason, in that it's crazy hot, fans pack the stadium hours before the game, so it's a literal cauldron in every sense of the term. Then you have the music and the fireworks and fans outside your hotel, the long trip down there. The good news is Honduras is basically cooked, so it's not like you're starting out in San Pedro Sula and... They still have optimism that they'll have a strong campaign. So it could have been a lot worse, but it's still not very ideal. Yeah, and which I may add, you know, just covering Honduras um, and talking to a lot of media there, it's no fun for anyone going down there. So, Eustachio, question from DR Danny W, wants to know about Eustachio's January move, potentially that is, mm -hmm. and how Tejan fits into a settled Club Bruges front line. Okay, uh, starting with Oshtakio, there's been nothing concrete reported by the larger Portuguese outlets, but some of the smaller ones are saying that Porto has renewed their interest in Oshtakio for January. Now, apparently negotiations went very deep in the summer until Pacos demanded too much. Uh, they own half of his rights. Chavez, one of uh, Oshtakio's former clubs, has 40%, and then the player himself has 10%. So this is kind of why negotiations over the fee haven't necessarily worked out. And apparently Pacos just ended up asking for way too much. So then Porto withdrew. Braga was also interested. They withdrew. The good news on this front is the coach of Porto, Sergio Conceição, has Ostacchio on his wish list. So he's definitely wanted. He just probably costs between 5 to 7 million euros based on what Pacos paid to sign him permanently from Cruz Azul and how the fee would be divvied up. Uh, if he were to leave Pachos, and then you would have to obviously divide the money evenly with them, with Chavez, and then the player gets a little bit as well. As for Buchanan, as I've repeatedly said, Bruges doesn't often pay much or pay this much for a player like Buchanan. When they do, it's for an established player with quite a bit of European experience. For example, they signed Simon Mignolet for a similar fee. He has years and years of experience in the Premier League. He's played for Belgium. Um, he's a well-known name in that league. I wouldn't worry too much about Buchanan not getting the minutes. He will play. It just might not be right from the start, which is understandable. As for the front line itself, you have 20-year-old Charles de Ketelaer, who has eight goals in 19 games, and the experienced Bash Dost splitting duties as the number nine. Noah Lang is deployed on the left. He's a locked-on starter out there. Very young, promising player. But the right has been very fluid. Kamal Soa started the year there. Cisse Sandra and Rude Vormer have kind of split the duties in recent weeks on the right flank. Philip Clement and the club, Philip Clement is the, the head coach of, of Bruges, are aware that they have Buchanan coming, so they probably realize, like, hey, we don't have to kind of find the permanent solution, because the permanent solution is coming. Vormer and Soa are experienced. Sandra is still 18. 
Buchanan is 22 and costs a lot, so I'm sure that they're more than willing to give Buchanan the minutes. And the good news for him is that there is a lot of youthful competition at the club, so he can't afford to slack off or slip up at any point. Um, so he should fit in very nicely into the 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 variant that Bruges deploys there. Arouyan at Arouyan5 asks, Do you think Oscar Johnson is ready for a move to Europe or any of our center backs in MLS like Kamal Miller? Johnston is definitely ready to move to Europe. And now that Nashville has picked up his contract option, they stand to make a pretty sizable profit on him. The way he reads the game, his distribution, the positional flexibility, he'd do very well in a league like Holland, Belgium, even somewhere like the championship would be fine. There are quite a few mid-table to lower mid-table clubs who could afford him and, and pay a pretty nice wage while still saving a bit of money themselves. You know, in the case of the Netherlands, Maybe an Ajax or PSV wouldn't sign him, but Feyenoord could use him. They only have two out-and-out centre-backs, three if you count Ramon Hendricks, who has split time between centre-back and full-back. So, you know, maybe he could slot in there. Even an Ased could, could be a nice landing spot for him too. The other centre-backs are a little trickier to predict. Kamal Miller is close. I still think he needs another half-season, at least, in MLS, as this was his first full campaign as a starter at center back and in this system but no doubt about it his stock is rising rapidly the more he plays in that role for club and country if he works on his aerial duels he can do the same sort of move that i'm predicting for johnston come the summertime or maybe even next january at the latest next question also from aruyan what's up with babal halbuni he's been playing so well for the reserve side of weather Bremen, but it doesn't look like he's getting a chance at the first team well, we do need some context here. This is Halbuni's first full season in Europe due to the pandemic, and he's still 22. He can earn minutes at maybe a two-Bundesliga level next season, and it won't affect his development too much. That being said, he does look a cut above for the fourth division of Germany in terms of pace, technique, reading of the game, how much he dominates in the air. I think the, the move, whether it's on loan or just somewhere else, has to come very soon. Because while the pace of play in the two Bundesliga is very high and the standard is very good, it is a big jump to make, especially for a club the size of Werder Bremen. But Halbuni is ready, I think, to make that transition. Maybe not as a permanent starter, but certainly as a rotational piece in the next little while. Shane Wagner at Wayne Shagener. Is Colin starting to hit his stride in Holland? Where does Juventus fit among the top women's teams in Europe as a destination for Julia Grosso? On Colin, he's getting more minutes as a false nine in recent games. Uh, he scored and assisted last week or two weeks ago. He's also been incredibly effective on set pieces. It's ridiculous how often he hits the right ball. And, you know, whether it's direct and he tests the goalkeeper or indirect off a corner and just puts the right amount of weight on it, he's really lethal in those situations. But he's not the most physical. He's not stretching back lines, nor is he hitting a lot of through balls when he does distribute the ball. He's mostly dropping deep, executing these quick give-and-go sequences and allowing the wingers to be the main scoring threats. His touch still needs some work, as does his composure and decision-making, but I suppose the bright side for Colin is he is getting in good positions. He's averaging about 0.34 xG as a number nine this season in about 400 minutes. So maybe he could be the kind of, I don't know, like like really the false nine in every sense of the word in that he's almost like just the guy who sort of 
collects the ball and then feeds it out to the wings and then hope that, you know, more technically gifted wingers can get the job done. Um, for Julia Grosso, as disorganized as Juventus has been on the men's side in recent years, their women's team is a cut above. They are by far the best team in Italy and invest a lot into the women's side. I believe they're actually looking to build a stadium for their under-23s, under-19s, and women's teams to play in as they want to be more in line with like what Madrid and Barcelona are doing on that front and that they have separate stadiums for pretty much all their teams. So Grosso is going to a really good spot, both in terms of the club's structure, investment, and the quality of play. Um, she'll be playing for the best team in country by a mile, and she'll be playing in the Champions League, which should definitely help her. And last three questions here. We start off with Van S at Van S Jets. What's really going on with Freddy Karioglu? doesn't sound like Turkey is 100%. We saw the reports. It only was a report, Peter. Yes, and you said it best. Um, last week on the show when we discussed that he might be leaning Turkey and might make that decision as soon as the new year. Um, he may still be leaning that way, and I imagine he is, but it does tell us that they're as much in the dark as Canada is. And with the Netherlands now reportedly keen, which is the new wrinkle in this, that throws a wrench into things. Because if that's the case, then I think Canada has next to no shot because Holland is his dream scenario. Big shiny ball at big shiny ball van. Has Lucas Diaz been doing anything? Haven't heard much about him since the Olympic qualifiers. Yes. Um, well, as I touched on earlier on the show, he has been in pretty regular communication with the CSA. So they're definitely keeping tabs on him. Um, he's done well with the under-19s in the UEFA Youth League this season. He's playing more often for the B side of sporting. He's on the precipice of debuting with the first team, but hasn't quite gotten that chance yet. Um, but as long as he keeps doing his thing, the chance will come. The coach, Ruben Amarim, is a huge admirer of him. He's trained several times with the first team. So it's a case of sooner rather than later when he'll make that debut. Last final question from Vince Alvarado by at... Vince, by demand, any info on why Ben Payton, Harry Payton's brother, hasn't been featuring for Ross County? I don't actually know for sure what the issue is. Um, keep in mind that Ben isn't a left back, and a lot of his attacking qualities are stunted in a side like Ross County, who need defensive solidity first. He hasn't played since, what, the end of October, and he's been on the bench recently, so... It, it kind of makes you think like he's just not in favor right now because fixture congestion has also been affecting Scottish clubs. So if there was ever a chance for him to get a game or two, it would be right now. I think it's just a matter of preference or Peyton needing to work on some things to improve as, as a left back and win back his place. Well, thank you, Thomas, for taking over the mic as I grab it back from you here. Moving on to some Canadians abroad updates. Big news for the men's national team. On the positive front, um, Motherwell's 26-year-old Norwegian centre-back Sandra Solholm has revealed that he's eligible for Canada. He confirmed this in an interview with Motherwell's digital team, and he has also agreed to do an interview with us in the new year as well, so stay tuned for that. Considering he's a right-footed centre-back, Thomas, how does this help the team's depth. All right. So uh, he is no Fakaya Tomori. Yes. Um, but he is a center back. And we don't have too many of those, as people know. We're okay from one to four. We have maybe some options, five to six, Joe Waterman. Now we have uh, Julian Dunn in Norway. First name that comes to mind is a future replacement for someone like Steven Vittoria. 
just because someone like Daniel Henry can't play in the big games. He can do it in the smaller games, but he can't do it in the big games. So we need players who can do it in the big games. And guys like Kamal Miller can, Johnston can, Scott Kennedy can, but he hasn't been healthy. That's why he missed the last two windows. So with that being said, he's playing a good league, a good club. They're fifth in the Scottish Premiership, so getting good game time there. He's a regular. He's also played three years in the Norwegian League, so he is experienced. And I think he could help uh, Canada in the same way that David Witherspoon has helped us. Now, he hasn't been, someone like Witherspoon, for example, hasn't been incredible in the sense that he's been playing for us every single game. But at the same time, it's still much-needed depth. And at this point uh, in Canada's journey, um, you have to get younger with Vittoria probably leaving mm-hmm. um, the, the, the program in a year's time or two. And at the same time, just because the up-and-coming centre-back uh, prospects are just, in my opinion at least, not quite ready for senior national team, I think it helps bridge the gap. And and again, sometimes I, I would be surprised if Herman, by this point, does hasn't been informed of this player and, and gives him a call because I think he could be uh, of quite some use. Yeah, he's not the fastest or most technically gifted defender in the world. I mean, he has good vision. He loves the long passes and is very accurate with those. He's excellent when the game is in front of him as well, especially in the air. He's a monster in that regard. But once he's one-on-one against a technically superior or faster attacker, it's game over. And that's very similar to guys like Daniil Henry, Stephen Vittoria, Mandrakar James. But... He's another solid option to have, and they need more right footers, so you accept him, especially if he's playing regularly at Motherwell. That's a more than formidable option to have in the national team fold. So, you know, I, I feel like with a lot of the center backs, you take the good with the bad, and you just find a way to prioritize or make sure that you extract as much good and then mask as much of the bad as you possibly can. And speaking of him, uh, he returned from injury and started for Motherwell, uh, finished with 90 minutes and had an assist as they defeated St. Johnston uh, 2-0 on Saturday. Moving on, according to Moser Sport in Serbia, Milan Borjan has requested Restor Belgrade to terminate his contract, but it's not because of the fight he had with head coach Dijan Stankovic. Uh, it's because he's consumed by the pressure and tension of playing for Red Star and wants to finish his career in a calmer environment. Now, since that report, a newer report has come out mm-hmm. saying that he has an MLS offer on the table. Peter, what do you make of this situation? Uh, is he coming home to Southern Ontario? Like, I, I feel like that is sort of written in the stars now, is it not? He would certainly have interest from them. They need to upgrade the goalkeeper position. He wouldn't count as a uh, as an international. He'd be a domestic. I think it makes complete sense. I mean, a reminder, too, that Borean's contract was set to expire in a few months anyways. So Red Star wouldn't lose that much if they terminated the deal. And I don't think people realize how crazy it is to play for a club like... Red Star, Partizan, Dinamo Zagreb, clubs like that. They're massive, massive teams with devoted followings, and it does wear you down. So I can't really blame Borean for wanting that. But if he came back to MLS, I think that's more than fine. I don't think it would affect his national team stock whatsoever. Yeah, and you also you have to take into consideration as well. He hasn't played in North America, so maybe he's looking for kind of that newer experience that maybe, hey, I can go out to a restaurant, I can go out to a cafe and not be <laughs> not have a mob following me everywhere I go. Exactly. Moving on, uh, Jonathan David scored his 
15th goal in 25 games uh, this season in Lille's win over Oxray in the Coupe de France on Saturday. Uh, reminder, he had 13 goals last year after a slow start. Now, we have a report that Lille don't want to sell David in January, but if an offer of 55 million euros arrived, they would consider it. Alfonso Davies locked in like his usual self, going 80 minutes for Bayern in their resounding win over Wolfsburg on Friday. And Scott Arfield started and lasted around 64 minutes in Rangers' narrow 1-0 win over Dundee United. It's his sixth start since Steven Gerrard left for Aston Villa and his third consecutive start in the league. And Harry Payne, who we just had on the show, suffered a knock to his calf versus Celtic in midweek. And now, Peter, you have some information about him. Yeah, he's all right. It's not a long-term thing, but Ross County might be cautious with him given his importance to the team. So he might miss up to a week, which would mean that he could miss this uh, pre-Christmas game before he does come back hurt. But the calf is fine. Derek Nielus lasted the full 94 Panatolokos in their win over Atramitos in the Greek Super League. And Ike Ugbo was a second-half substitute in Genk's midweek win over Chalero. Which, by the way, I have been to that city. Very ugly. Don't go. Um, <laughs> he logged about 13 minutes. He followed it up with 20 minutes off the bench versus Antwerp in their draw on Sunday. Uh, people ask me, what the hell are you doing here? They haven't seen a tourist before. Uh, Sam Akube went 90 minutes for Hattisport in their 2-0 loss against Travenspore. Uh, Stefan Ostakio and Paco de Ferreira got their first win since August. Uh, with Ostakia going the full 90, just gives you an idea that uh, he has to get out there as soon as possible. Uh, Steven Vittoria started for Morense and was etched 1-0 by Boavista. Uh, Liam Miller started and played just over 80 minutes for Basel, who drew 2-2 with Grasshoppers on Sunday. Yep. And I have some news on Theo Corbiano, who has hit a bit of a snag in what's been a purple patch of form for the youngster. Um, he has tested positive for COVID-19, uh, has to quarantine uh, for two weeks. Uh, again, not a very fun situation for him. Um, of course, especially in this time of the year anyway, um, you know, Christmas time and New Year and whatnot, um, who has had a pretty good uh, year. So again, wish him uh, the best of luck and, and hopefully we can have him on uh, in the show in the future. Yes, yes. And to finish off with the Canadians Abroad updates, Tom Bogart of MLSsoccer.com is reporting that Drakeel Marshall-Ruddy is training with Liverpool after spending time with Liverpool's under-18. And he's also trial. He's also expected to trial at Chelsea. And there are rumors that he'll be at Dortmund as well. So uh, think about a trial uh, tour uh, for uh, him. And again, we couldn't really fit any other uh, Canadians Abroad updates because we just don't have time. So I'll hand over the mic back to uh, Peter. Yes. Uh, closing out with some quick news and notes here. Alfonso Davies was named... Canada Soccer's Men's Player of the Year, something we discussed in last week's episode. Right choice, Thomas, or no? He beats the calendar year top score and the top score in Liga. For me, I don't think so, no. But at the same time, I sometimes think that some of these awards, Peter, are popularity contest. And I think um, for some media members, uh, not to crap on our colleagues, Peter, mm -hmm. um, but for some media members who are maybe more general news or general sports, yeah. um, Alfonso Davies is the name that stands out, and, and, and therefore that's the name that they voted for. 
Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument that he is the player of the year, as we discussed last week, because there were so many possible names to put in the top three. I still think that Davies not being present for the Gold Cup hurts his case a bit. Then again, I voted for Jonathan David, and he didn't go either, but he won Liga with Lille over PSG, which is a massive accomplishment, scored the winning goal to get them that title, played a leading role in 2021 for club and country, despite some hiccups in October. Davies won the Bundesliga and went to the Champions League quarterfinals earlier this year, but I don't think he was as dominant a player at club level until Nagelsmann arrived. Certainly since then, he has been amazing, but before then, you know, it was routine, and there's nothing bad about that, but I just feel like David was on just a completely other level for his club performances. Uh, Also, Davies was basically invisible versus Costa Rica. He did okay against Mexico in November, but you wouldn't say he was one of the best players, although the defensive structure did fall apart after he came off as a substitute in that game. Very good in October, apart from that Jamaica game. Didn't do a whole lot versus Honduras, had moments against the U.S., missed the El Salvador game. But this is all arbitrary, Thomas. I I personally didn't vote for him as my player of the year, but other people would feel differently, and that's what makes the world go around. Speaking of the man, Davies wasn't included in the Fifth Pro World Eleven. He was also named the best men's player in CONCACAF in 2021 by IFFHS. Jesse Fleming was named the Women's Canada Soccer Player of the Year. I'd say it was either her or Ashley Lawrence who were probably the most deserving. Canada Soccer's Deputy General Secretary Joe Guest will step down at the end of the year, so that's another vacancy they need to fill. MLS free agency began last week. Canadians Raheem Edwards, Jay Chapman, and Toe St. Ricketts are all out of contract. MLS expansion side Charlotte FC did not select players from the Canadian clubs, but there was a trade involving one as the Vancouver Whitecaps acquired defender Tristan Blackman from Charlotte in exchange for $350,000 in 2022 GAM and 125000 in 2023 GAM. Uh, according to Steve Buffery of the Toronto Sun, TFC are close to signing Io Akinola to a new deal. Uh, in the CPL, uh, the awards were revealed. Alessandra Hojabrapur won the Under-21 Canadian Player of the Year. Jonathan Sirwa took the Goalkeeper of the Year award. Joao Morelli won Player of the Year on top of being the Golden Boot winner. Paul Maduka, last week's guest, was named the CPL Coach of the Year. Uh, do you disagree with any of these award winners, Thomas? Okay, a couple of hot takes. Some of which aren't my opinions, but this is what I've been hearing. Not internally, but, you know, around the league and whatnot. Hojabapur, I think, got it because of the goal that he scored mm-hmm. uh, in the final. I think that really edged him to get it. They give it to a goalkeeper that is playing in MLS, uh, player of Montreal. Again, uh, Jean Morelli only playing 75% of the matches and someone that played for the fifth best team in the league. And again, I mean, Pamaduka deserved it this year, 100%. And I'm not just saying that because we had him on the show because we also had Bobby Smirnotis, so there's no bias there. But at the same time, the CPL has ignored three years of Bobby's work, uh, which I'm surprised by that he hasn't at least gotten at least coach of the year in one of those years. Um, So when you put all these arguments together, again, I don't agree with every of them, but they are very uh, compelling because what Bobby has done in the last three years and not getting an award, uh, Morelli, you know, only playing 75% of the matches and whatnot, Uh, Zaru playing in MLS, Hojabapur only in the final. Um, And again, it's it's so um, 
curious as to see who exactly is assigning these winners. I really think the only one that was the most controversial for me was Hojabrapur because I think Max Ferrari was by far the best young player in the CPL last season. He was a key starter for his club, as was Hojabrapur. But as good as he was defensively, I still think he lacks some qualities on the ball, whereas Ferrari is quite complete as an attacker and made a massive difference for York getting them into the playoffs. So I feel like he was the clear-cut choice in that regard. Uh, everybody else, you can probably make the argument. Morelli would maybe be the, the second one I'd choose and say, oh, I don't know, but maybe him missing some of those games and the HFX collapsing and falling out of the playoff places kind of backs up just how valuable he was. But it all depends on how you rank the criteria of player of the year, really. The Fan Awards Team of the Year was also announced, and it consists of Tristan Henry, uh, then from right to left, Caden Chung, Karifa Yao, Lucas McNaughton, and Kwame Awua. In the midfield, uh, Eliman Cisse, Marco Bustos, and Kyle Becker. And then up front was Joao Morelli, Taryn Campbell, and Alejandro Diaz. Uh, Moham Babuli made the best 11 of the 2021 CONCACAF League, representing Forge there. Victor Blasco has left Pacific FC. He is headed to Club Deportivo y Social Vida of Honduras. Valor has announced that they have picked up the option on defender Stefan Sabara for the 2022 CPL season. York United announced the signing of 18-year-old Canadian striker Mamadou Kane, who was a member of the CF Montreal Academy and played at the 2019 U-17 World Cup with Canada. The contract is for two years with the option to extend for another. York also announced goalkeeper Nathan Ingham has departed the club. Ditto Dylan Pauly with Atletico Ottawa. Uh, Daniil Henry joined the ownership group of Simcoe County Rovers in League One Ontario, which includes Kyle Lahren and Julian de Guzman. Theo Corbinu and Jade Rose were named Canada Soccer Youth Players of the Year. Daniel Jebison earned himself EFL League One Player of the Month, and Kadisha Buchanan made the fifth pro world 11 shortlist for defenders awards all around for canadians in the game before we sign off one quick programming note we will be hosting a canadian soccer roundtable with the score and sports and alumni and current members of the footy prime podcast james Sharman and brendan and brendan dunlop we tweeted the announcement from the account on sunday that episode will be released on monday december the 27th we were initially going to take two weeks off, but we wanted to give thanks to you, the listeners, during the holidays, and we figured this was the best way to do it. Yeah, that's right. Um, again, we wanted to take uh, that time off as 2021 has been so exhausting, but you guys have given us some some much-needed love, um, both in the reviews, uh, spamming our DMs, which we love it, um, always being part of the polls and the questions, and, and we thought that, hey, I mean... I, I, I myself uh, and, and Peter can, can attest for this, but even when I have free time, I, I check Twitter for, for news and, and see what's going on, keep up with what's going on, and, and li- love listening to other podcasts as well and, and reading articles. So if if I knew that myself or Peter in our own time, we like uh, consuming other content, uh, then we knew as well that uh, you sitting at home uh, for the holidays uh, would enjoy uh, doing so also. Well, Thomas, I'm sure it's the same for you, but uh, as a coworker once told or said in reference to me, and I'm directly quoting him here, I don't think there's a moment where Peter isn't thinking 
or talking Canadian soccer. So <laughs> at least it's being put to good use. <laughs> That's for sure. Should be the, the description of the show. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, put it in quotes there. <laughs> Anyways, until then, for Thomas Neff, I'm Peter Galindo. Happy holidays to everyone. And we will be back at the same time next week. Bye.